Turn with me to John chapter 20 today. John chapter 20. So much to talk about today. And uh, we're not going to be able to get it all in. And I have been in a lot of prayer about uh, this sermon. And uh, I really want to kind of give you, just personally, I, I really see three, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on three vignettes or three little pictures within this scripture that I believe answers this question and so many beautiful answers on the board here because of the resurrection yes we do have hope and thank God we do we know that our Redeemer does live we are saved we can love we are not afraid of death we can come before the Father we're a son we're a son of the King we can know that we can die every day as a result of the resurrection. So many ramifications because of the resurrection. And I'm going to give you three today that I think really make a difference for us in how we actually live our lives every day because of the resurrection. And the first point I want to give to you today is because of the resurrection... I can actually experience hope that relieves my doubts. I want to say that again. I can actually experience hope that relieves my doubts. I can actually experience it. I'm not talking about something that is in the clouds, something that is kind of spiritual, something that we have been taught in the past about the Bible, about God, about how we understand life. I'm talking to you about actually when I exist, as I exist, as you exist in this next week, you and I, because of the resurrection, can actually experience hope in the midst of our doubts. And there's two others I want to give you. Let's look here at John chapter 20. We're going to read this famous verse about doubting Thomas, right? Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, verse 24 of John chapter 20, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now look there, now now we skip forward a week. So Thomas had to live in his melancholy all week. He had to live in his doubt all week. Kind of sounds like us, right? A week later, his disciples in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, we'll get back to that, Jesus came and stood among them and said, look what Jesus says, He says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. 
Stop doubting. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. This is for us, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We talk a lot about this here. We talk a lot about this concept of doubt. A doubt to doubt is a very real part of our lives, is it not? To say that doubt doesn't exist or shouldn't exist would really would be to tell a lie. We have our doubts. Many of us in here and all of us in this room have our doubts about many things. Many times we are confused in the scriptures by the paradox in our lives between faith and doubt. And that was what was going on here in the scripture was the paradox that was going on between faith and doubt in the disciples lives locked in the upper room after the resurrection locked for fear. We're going to talk about fear a little bit. But the scripture here gives us some very important insights into the role that doubt plays. First of all, I want to ask you, what are the sources of doubt in our lives? What are the sources of doubt in our lives? Why do we doubt? What's going on in our lives that causes us to doubt so much? Now, the first source that you would always be able to look at from a biblical perspective would be Satan. Because Satan is the great doubt creator. He visited Eve in the garden to do one thing, and that was to cast doubt. And he continues that mission to this day in your life and in my life. He said, do you think God really doesn't want you to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Do you really think that that's what God wants? When you look through the Genesis account, you see this whole point of him wanting to introduce doubt to Eve. So doubt comes from there, definitely. But second, let me give you another source for doubt. And this is where we're definitely all at as well. The other source for doubt that we deal with is suffering. And in troubled times seem to bring doubt. Do they for you? They do for me. When I was, when I stood before the casket of my father in 1998, he was buried beside my, my grandfather in a beautiful, grave site about a mile from one of the favorite golf courses that I ever played with him, my dad. It was a beautiful sanctuary kind of a golf course. It was a great place to just do life. And that day for me that I stood over the casket very close to that place was just a day of a lot like this day probably for the disciples. But I was... In my suffering, I was asking the, the questions that we all ask in our suffering. And what, what was the question? Do you know? Huh? Why? Yeah. Why? And then my also, my, uh, there was another question that I asked, and it was, it was, where? Where are you, Lord? Do you see your suffering, son? Do you know my tears? What's the answer to that question? Does he know my tears? 
Read Isaiah 53. That's where we see that we are dealing here with a Savior who is very familiar with our suffering. And the Scripture does tell us that we will suffer. It's not out of context in our lives to suffer. The issue is how we handle our suffering. But troubled times and great difficulty seems to be the friend of doubt, at least in my life, and it may be in your life right now. And the thing that you're, you may be going through even right now may be a real time of doubt for you. Lord, who are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Do you even exist? Do you care about me? Do you love me? Do you love my grandpa who died last year? Do you love my uncle? Why do I have cancer? It goes on and on and on and on and on. And this is where Thomas found himself. He had quite a difficulty, difficult week here. Thomas didn't believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead and he was kind of slow on the uptake as far as what the other disciples knew. But there's a couple really important truths here that I want us all to get. And here's the first one. Notice how absolutely beautiful Jesus is in dealing with Thomas. Jesus dealt with Thomas and his doubts. Jesus is very willing to deal with us and our doubts. God had proven this over and over again. In fact, if you look through redemptive history, you look through the scriptures, you'll see Moses and Jeremiah and David, people that wondered where God was. We obviously have a very patient God who deeply loves his children to the point where he actually allowed Thomas to poke around and look at his body. I don't want anybody to do that (laughs) <laughs> even now I don't like Shelly point poking at my body I'm a little bit overweight I don't want her to feel the you know you kind of get older and you dress you can more dress in the closet more than outside in the room you know you're kind of a little bit ashamed you know maybe a few too many glasses of wine for Joel right Think about that for a minute, though. Think about the fact that the God of the universe stood there after he resurrected from the grave and let another human person poke his body. It says much about our Savior. It says much about the beauty of our God, that he would condescend That he would even show up in the room. It says much about our Savior. And in all his godness, he stooped to Thomas's weakness and humanness. And that's the beauty. But, you know, here we are, and we find it very difficult to admit that we have doubts. Many of us are afraid to admit even the possibility of doubt in our lives. It's not something that we typically will gather our Christian friends and look at each other and say, I want to have a doubt circle. I just want everybody to gather around, tell you what is really messed up and what I really doubt. We don't do that. 
Or when we do do it, somebody says, well, hey, I'm really doubting this. And, and you know, some other brother will go, well, let me tell you something, brother. You, thou wast start doing goodest. And i got to show you this scripturist. <laughs> oh, yeah, we get, we, we, we get, it's easy for us to in, enter into the, to the old language when we're teaching somebody else. When it's about us, we start swearing in another way. Right? That's kind of me. Let me tell you one of the greatest things that you can do with your doubts. Okay? Find some trusted friends. Lock yourself in a room and talk. Just like this. These people were all gathered into this room for fear that they were literally going to die. But they were around in this room at least talking about it. And I like the fact that Thomas had a chance to have some friends that he got to look at and say, this is really screwed up. How can one man actually rise to the dead? This can't happen. You Can you imagine the frustration in the room when the other men were, what do you mean? We saw him. I don't care if you saw him. You ever met anybody like that? They're like a contrarian person. Have you ever met these pe- people? Real contentious. Anything you say to them, I don't believe that. You know? Maybe he was like that. Let me ask you something. Do you have a place? Do you have a, a room? Do you have a safe place that you can go to that you can just let it all go? No, really. Think about that. I'm not talking about your small group that's met for the last three years and you guys kind of operate on this level up here. I'm talking about that the gospel actually would allow for you to lock yourself into a room with other people and really get messy. Do you have that in your life? Do you know that the gospel makes that possible? And do you know that even in, when you're in that process, it's about the gospel? It's about that. One of the things that one of the dreams inside the dreams here for this little community is that we would actually see 100% of the people that are involved in this with us in our body to be involved in a small group of people. And what I might want to tell you is this. There's nothing about the small group of people that is like their nirvana or, or the, the utopia. It's just the fact that we believe that we need to enter into small groups of community so that we can begin to actually lock ourselves in the room and talk about things. Not just come and hear a preacher. Right? Trusted friends. But here's the thing that we don't like when we talk, come to our doubts. I love what Jesus says there. How he deals with Thomas. Look what he says. Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas in verse 27, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop believing or stop doubting and start believing or stop doubting and believe, he says. Jesus is always pleased to tell us the truth and usually the truth part is the part that we don't like. So what I would tell you is this. There's always a place that you're getting the picture here. Let me see if I can communicate it. You're getting the picture here that doubts and the questions and the process and the journey is all good, Thomas. It's great. 
But you're also getting the picture of there's truth in the middle of that process. There's truth in the middle of those doubts. And what's the truth? The truth is, is when he says to him, stop doubting, believe. This warning is given to all of us. What are the consequences of not believing? The consequences is this. I am faithless. I am Christless. I am graceless. I am hopeless. I am joyless. Everything L-E-S-S, I am without Christ. So I can actually experience hope and peace in the midst of my doubts. Are you a doubter today? Some of you may be here and you may not know Christ. Continue to come and ask the questions. Continue to come and process and go on a journey. Many of you are here today that you've, you've been to church your whole life. It's like a miracle you're even still going to church. Continue to journey and ask God. What in the world he has for you in your life? That's my, that's my urging for you. Do not do the thing that we all do, which is I'm going to kind of go away and live this isolated existence. Continue on the journey because the only hope is found in Christ over your doubts. You can actually experience hope in a relationship with Jesus in the midst of your doubts, even in the midst of your greatest pain. I'm a, I'm a personal illustration for that. And still I'm in deep pain over many things in my life. And many days I wake up and I know that the only hope that I have in my life is the cross and the resurrection and what Christ has done for me. And it's a good thing, sister and brother. What's number two? I can actually experience grace that forgives my failures. I can actually experience grace that forgives my failures. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Then Jesus seizing him, or then, or then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. Verse 57 of Luke chapter 22 says this, But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. This is Peter who had spent the last three years with Jesus. This is Joel who has spent the last 48 years on earth. And this is you. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, which Jesus had predicted, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine this moment? And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. And before the rooster crows, today you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Have you ever wept bitterly? Have you ever been in a place where you've heard somebody else weep bitterly? 
It's different than shedding tears. The only thing that comes close to it for me was when my mom died. And I heard my brother wailing over my mother in the in the hospital. It was horror it was horrible. It was horrible. Just the the tone and the sound and the guttural wrenching of suffering that was made audible. It was horrible. You know that there's people in this room who have experienced that kind of suffering? Do you know that Peter experienced that kind of suffering on this night? Can you imagine? And I won't get to it, but the most beautiful piece of Scripture that you need to read this next week is you need to read John 21 because in John 21, Jesus comes back to Peter and he reinstates Peter. By the way, do you, do you remember when you were a little kid you played this thing called the Etch-A-Sketch? Anybody? Is that? Yeah. Am I too old? Am I saying? Uh, some of you are going... The etch a sketch is where you turn the little knobs and you can build a little city, you know? You know, you or you build a car or you know, and it's tough to do curve lines. Right. When Jesus came back to reinstitute institute Peter to say that he loved him, he took the etch a sketch and he shook it. And what happens when you do that? It goes blank. That's forgiveness. And that's what God offers to you and I every day of our lives. He offers the shake of the Etch-A-Sketch. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. What would you do without forgiveness? I really sound like a preacher there, didn't I? What would you do? But when I think of that, I was thinking about William Wallace in the Brave Braveheart when he stands up on that horse and he goes, "What will you do without freedom?" And I was sitting there going, "No, I'm going to fight right now. Give me a sword. I'm going for it. Who am I fighting? I'm going to get that possum in my yard. Whatever." Right? This is kind of the statement I want you to hear now when he says, "When he says, what would you do without forgiveness?" Do you understand the utter meaningless of your of our lives without this concept? Do you understand the power of this this word and what it means that I can actually experience this on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday of my life? I can experience it with my wife and my friends. I can experience it and it feels good. Somebody has said that salvation is God's alternative to meaningless living and dying. What would we do without this? Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. He says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The resurrection is that important. Not long ago, before she died in 1988, in a moment of 
surprising candor in television. There's a famous person who said this. She was uh, one of our, uh, really one, a very well-known secular humanist and novelist. She said this, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Or forgiven. Many of us even right now, because of our failures, our Peter, we're weeping bitterly. But the gospel is, is that your failures don't define you. And we talk about that a lot around here. I don't think we can talk about it enough. Because when Peter was reinstituted by our Jesus, Peter believed that. Peter was weeping bitterly because he believed that he was a failure, that he was a screw-up, not that he had failed or had screwed up. He was one, and many of us in here, even though we know the gospel, believe the exact same lie. And God has the etch-a-sketch. God sent his son to come and die, and he offers us that kind of forgiveness. It's a beautiful truth, friend. There's a story told about a Scottish king who was trying to evade capture from the English. And as he and his attendant were trying to get away through the forest, they could hear the barking dogs that were on their trail. And the attendant said to the king, They will surely find us. I can hear the hounds. And the king said, I'm not so sure. He ended up evading ultimate capture by running through a stream of water. And when the hounds got to the stream, they lost the scent. The trail had been broken and the king got away. The memory of our sins prodded on by Satan can be like the baying dogs. Peter surely could hear the hounds as he wept. But I want you to know something, my friend. There is a stream that flows, baby. And it flows red with the blood of Christ. And it's by grace through faith that we are safe. And no sin hound can touch us. The trail has been broken by the precious blood of Christ we can actually experience forgiveness. Lastly, I can actually experience peace that conquers our fears. We can actually experience peace that conquers our fears. Back to John 20. Look there. John 20, 26. I love this. A week later, his disciples were, we, we kind of hit on this in another way. Let me, let me use it in, an, in kind of a, a, a different way here. In verse 26 of John 20, it says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, The, the, the last point that I want to make with you today is that because of the resurrection, I can actually experience peace that conquers my fears. So doubt, failure, and fears, the resurrection speaks to these three things in a massive way. The disciples were locked in the upper room. They were locked in fear. Can you relate to the disciples' fear in the upper room? Can I ask you a question? What are you fearful about? 
I'm amazed at how many, how many of us are fearful. I really am. And I'm amazed at my own fear. The, the majority of us have a tremendous tendency to move in what I would call a fear funk in our lives. Which is characterized by anxiety and angst and despair and dismay and distress and panic and suspicion and timidity and to worry and it goes on and on and on. The synonyms are ugly in the dictionary for fear. But you know what a fear funk is? A fear funk is actually this. It's a furious, insatiable desire to shut out our pain. And that's what was going on this day. They were fearful and they wanted to shut out the pain of all of life in the upper room. But we say the way I'm going to handle life struggles is by locking all the doors and living in my state of anxiety. Or the way that I'm going to handle my struggles is if I go to my therapist. Or if the way that I'm going to handle my struggles and we can walk all the way down the line. But it's almost like we kind of enjoy living in this state of anxiety. And then many of us may have made a very awful decision in this room. And that's this. I'm going to not only lock the doors and live in a fearful state, but I'm going to do it all alone. Because nobody else will know my suffering. Here's what we need to know. Though the doors may be locked, look what happens here. It doesn't say that Jesus knocked on the door and opened the door. He appeared. Okay? could give you an indication of what we may be able to do at the end of time. A little Star Trek kind of feel there. Walk through the wall, vaporized. Here's Jesus. It's a pretty cool thing. But he shows up right here, intervenes into their lives. And I want you to know something. He shows up, intervenes right in the midst of wherever you're at today, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your upper room. He shows up. You can try to lock it. He shows up and he says to you and I, peace, brother. Peace. I am here. Peace, sister. I am here. Peace be with you. Put your finger here. Touch my side. What's all that about? I want to be with you. This is like you and I growing up, and we hated it when the lights went out and the door was locked. We wanted Mama to come in or Daddy to come in and get right with us and just make us feel that we were safe. You are safe if you're in Christ. You are safe, and so am I. Receive it this morning. Take it in deep. Drink in the gospel this morning because it has a lot to say about our doubts and about our failures and about our fears. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your scripture that means so much. We're just like these people. We're just like Peter. We, we totally can relate we totally can relate to thomas we totally can relate to them all being in the upper room and and sometimes lord we 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 find it very very difficult in this life to to really kind of grasp onto this thing we we know that you've come we we many of us believe that we we know that you came you you died you lived you you, you rose from the grave. And yet some of us still 
are living in that room. We, or we're afflicted by fear, or it's just, it's difficult for us, Lord. And I would ask you for your gentleness with us, as you were gentle with Thomas, as you were gentle with Peter. But I would also ask you to tell us your truth, Lord. Let us walk that balance. Give us the strength to walk that balance. Help us on this Easter day to to celebrate you. Thank you for intervening into our lives and and walking through the locked rooms of our hearts to, to speak your miraculous story over our hurts and over our sin. We thank you in your name. Amen.